I'm Ian Eisenberg. On today's episode, I am interviewing Pamela Brunsvold Rumble from Jacksonville, Florida, and from New York City, as she works in the New York City artist community and creates amazing things. Good Eisenberg. Welcome to your favorite podcast. You are listening to Eisenberg with your host, Ian Eisenberg. Ian interviews people he finds interesting, some of them he knows and others he does not. You can find us on our website, yourfavoritepodcast.com. And now, here's your host, Ian Eisenberg. My guest today is Pamela Brunsvold Rubble. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ian. Excellent. This is exciting. So where are you right now? Are you in New York? Are you in Jacksonville? Are you somewhere else? I'm in New York today. I just got back last week from Jacksonville, and I'll be going back to Jacksonville in September. So I'm I'm back and forth. But per- yeah, how lo- how long have you been coming? Because I know like it was a few years ago when you first came up to New York, and how you've been just going back and forth. Right, it's been about four years now. Um, almost four years this fall and uh but prior to that though i did i did start my journey up here by using airbnb and coming back and forth on occasion and and then finally it just seemed like it was getting cost restrictive to do it that way and that it would just be better to have a small apartment in the city So what brought you up here to begin with? It's it's a little bit hard to explain, but I actually uh, thank eBay for starting the whole process. I had met someone on eBay that I actually bought something from um, that owned uh, an art gallery over in Williamsburg, Randall Harris. And he and I sort of developed uh, communication back and forth. And then MySpace started, and through Randall, I met a lot of different people in the New York area that were all creative-type people. And little by little, I just began to get pulled into this world of New York. I think that the whole eBay aspect is amazing. I I know there have been a lot of different websites and social networks where I've met people from, but never eBay. That, that, that I think is very fascinating. <laughs> it is, it is sort of an unusual story. And I was buying, purchasing something from him actually to do with art. Uh, I've always kind of been involved with the art world throughout my life, but it's come and gone. And in between, when I was raising my children, I became a real estate agent because that worked well scheduling with the children's lives, with their activities and such. So after I decided, well, it was about 10 years I was in selling real estate, and that was actually in Charlottesville, Virginia. So I've I've moved around a bit. Um, mostly around the South. Yeah, so where are you originally from? 
I grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, which is central Georgia. Um, it's about, I'd say, an hour south of Atlanta. And um, it, it was somewhat of a different city for Georgia. Juana Robbins is called the international city because there's a big Air Force base there. And, and so we had people from all over the world living in our little town, little southern town. And both of my parents were civilians at the Air Force base. Wow. Wow. So now I'm my second guest on the show from Georgia. So congratulations. <laughs> Shout out to Kimmy yeah. Miz, who I had on a few episodes ago. Right. I get I get a lot of um, the minute I open my mouth and start to talk in New York, everyone knows I'm not from New York. And even strangers, amazingly, in stores and things, they always ask me as soon as they hear me speaking. Everyone asks, where are you from? <laughs> it's quite funny sometimes. Yes, and, and imagine if you said, oh yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, born and raised, yes. <laughs> um, well, they they love to guess. They love to guess what, they know it's the South, but they're not sure what state. So they begin to guess. Very cool. So, so tell me about your artist and your your life in art and how that came about like from the years you had of in real estate and where the art came from well i i was an art major at university of georgia but my whole childhood growing up was all about art anything to do with art drawing sketching crafting writing uh, i've just always had any interest in anything, um, photography. Um, I just went off in every kind of direction. I even made baskets for a couple of years. Anything I could do to, to do with anything that was things you make with your hands or, or images, I was always fascinated with that. I didn't do that much writing. I did write poetry, but now I seem to be here in New York um, doing a lot more writing. And that's kind of been an interesting journey for me, too. So um, when I first came here to New York, I really came to work on the project that the big project that I'm working on, which is Tashi Tibet. Uh, Tashi Tibet started out as a theater piece that I wrote with the music of Edgar Grana, uh, who's a composer here in New York. Um, he's lived here for many, many years. And he had been working on another project that didn't uh, materialize, and he had a lot of music. And so he asked me if I would write a piece, um, a, the a theater piece, if I could come up with a theater piece. Well, I had never written for theater. So I just went on Google and started studying um, what programs I would need. And before I knew it, I was working on this piece, Tashi Tibet. Um, Tashi Tibet started as a theater piece, but now it has morphed into an opera, a contemporary opera. Uh, we're also working with Jordan Rudder, who's an opera 
graduate from Manhattan School of Music, who's also from Jacksonville, Florida. So collaborating has come about through just people I've met along the way. It's it's really just been a fascinating journey. It certainly has. Where like where is this piece going to be um, performed, or is that is that anything that we're close to yet at this point? Uh, the next step for us is a reading that we will be doing in September, uh, a three-scene reading at the National Opera Center uh, with 10 opera singers. As we converted the piece, we've been editing every week now for almost two years. We've been having editing sessions, and uh, we put together this reading it's it's actually by invitation only because it's a small space, but the reading will be to help promote the piece, to be able to get a good recording of excerpts from the piece so that uh, we'll have something for marketing purposes. That sounds so, exciting. It is. It's very exciting. And the other really exciting part of it is that since I've been here, I've really connected with the Tibetan community um, through a lot of their events that they have here in town. Uh, we got an endorsement for the show from the former, he, at the time, he was the personal rep for the Dalai Lama and the Americas, but now he's moved on to another position. But we got a nice endorsement from him. And so connecting with the Tibetan community has really been uh, very exciting. And they're just such a wonderful people that we've met along the way. Just, uh, I, you just, know what? I've been to the Rubin Museum, but it's like I didn't realize, like, how big is the Tibetan community? Because, like, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm someone who's not very much aware of, like, how much it exists in New York City. Uh, there are actually about 10,000 Tibetans in New York City. Um, of course, when everybody started to flee from Tibet, um, they're sort of scattered around the globe. There's, there's communities, pockets of communities in a lot of major cities, like there's some in California and Canada. London, and then a large community here in New York. And the Dalai Lama actually lives, um, his home base is in Dharamsala, India, uh, which is just across the border, and there's a really large community there. But um, their their story is is just, it's it's very sad if you really study and learn about exactly what they've been through since the 1950s. And so the show was written to tell the story, not around the Dalai Lama, but around some regular people that were villagers that were living in Tibet. It's sort of a coming of age story that describes um, some of the trials that they went through during this time frame. So. It's historically based, but the characters are all fictional. That's certainly a powerful 
story and project that you're working with and as it progresses um i certainly plan on uh, i definitely want to be able to share with my listeners perhaps like on our website or our facebook about like where people can see it or experience it because that that's something that's special that's something really cool that you that you came upon and have been working on um, I, I'm very excited about it and I'm, I really, I, I took it on as a project, not for any real gain of any kind on my own part. I really just have a feeling for telling the story more than anything. And I, as we've worked on it, I've realized with the people that we've invited in to participate, that even though people know about Tibet, they don't really know the full story. It's like people have heard little bits and pieces, like almost everyone knows about the Dalai Lama, but very few people actually know the full story. So it's um, really something to research and learn more about. And of course, there's plenty of books and great books that you can read to research more. There's there's quite a few autobiographies by monks you can read. Um, and a lot of the news that we get isn't through the mainstream media in this country. A lot of the news comes out of India. So you have to kind of dig for it to really find out exactly what's going on. That's some stuff good to know because I can say, as I mentioned, like I'm someone who's not very well versus I remember 20 years ago, 1997, seeing the movie Seven Years in Tibet. And that was like my first introduction into that world and realizing, wow, that that China basically took over this place. And and it's just fascinating, just and just a powerful just story of survival of a people. Right. And they they still have a great love for their country, even though they're all in exile. Many of them are in exile. And um, they are trying very hard to retain to retain their cultural identity, um, you know, by teaching their children the language um, and the way, you know, they're educated, but it's difficult when you leave a country to be able to hold on to all of that. So, and the Dalai Lama is working very hard to try to make some kind of process of mediation um, that would be acceptable, you know, to everybody. But it's 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 very complicated situation, very complicated. So when I first came, that that was my main thrust of coming to New York. And then I I know you've seen my photography blog. I also have a photography blog on Facebook. It's called New York City Photography Blog. The reason I started my blog was simply to share New York with my friends from the South. And I've had it, I think I think it's been about three years now. And basically, all it is is street photography. Uh, every now and again, I throw in a little artsy kinds of photos. 
but you can find it on Facebook. And I'm up to just under 4,000 um, people on my page now. Wow. It's very exciting. Wow. Uh, well, this podcast at this time doesn't have 4,000 followers. So, yeah, that, that that's a big accomplishment that people, like, like I have you paid attention to, like, how many people are people you know and people you don't know that have that have signed up for it? Um, I have. I, of course, when I first started it, I just invited all my friends to the page. And then little by little, I've grown the page. Um, I'm, I, I get a little bit disappointed at times, but I have to realize that the reason someone comes to a New York City photography blog page is they want to see New York. They want to know what New York is like. And the photos that are most popular or seem to be on my page are photos that are like famous places like Times Square and you know, places that people haven't been and they just want to see photos of what they look like. And then every now and again, I'm like trying to throw in more artistic photos and they don't seem to get as much recognition. So I guess I need another page if I want to have an artsy page for New York. Yeah, and also just remember one thing about people in New York see New York in a very different way than people outside of it. Like, I personally, like, one of the things that they say a real, I've heard for years is a true New Yorker has never been to the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. I personally have never been to the Statue of Liberty, and but I worked in the Empire State Building. Really? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I spent about two years, um, about a decade ago, on the 73rd floor of the Empire State Building looking south. It was a beautiful, built, beautiful just view of the city and seeing that space where where the Twin Towers once stood. It was, it was a sobering thing. Like, anytime, like, a messenger would come up to the building, whether it was, like, a UPS guy or someone, I'd always invite them to look out the window because... You, these people, they're working, they're making jewelry. Sometimes they don't get to just experience just just the simple pleasure of just, wow, you're one of the iconic buildings of the world and and you're not having a chance to, to look out the windows and see that view. That's what I'm finding. People that from around the country, they just really love seeing photos of the city because it is so beautiful and and they've heard about all these places they've never been here i do try to in some ways i would say promote visiting manhattan as well uh you know with my captions on my photos but um and i i also love to photograph the people of new york because as you know there's so many interesting people here Yes, Sarah. And then sometimes, sometimes people, commenters can identify who that person is, which I thought that was really cool. The one time you took the picture of Tatevon, and I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> I remember that. Yes, that was special. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Pamela, do you have any final mm-hmm. thoughts? And thank you for being on the show and just sharing just, just your, just all this art that you're creating like here in New York and just 
just through your career and your life. Thank you. I guess I guess the the only thing I'd like to say um, is well, I'm not giving away my age, but I am a mature citizen, and um, I'd like to say that. Even even when you get to retirement age, you can have so many other interests and hobbies to develop that keep your life um, always looking forward. And and I think that that's something that we forget sometimes. Well, I thank you and all my listeners. We thank you for just keep on living and just keep on just just sharing your voice and your um, your artistic nature and your interests with the world regardless of how old or young you are thank you Ian and thanks for having me I really appreciate it thank you for listening to Eisenberg you can find us at yourfavoritepodcast.com as well as Apple Podcasts Google Play, Stitcher TuneIn and wherever you listen to podcasts Thank you, and have a great Eisenberg, everybody.